Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. All y'all who are here today, especially new friends and guests, we love that you're here and that you're checking this place out. See what God says and does. And we want to help you, as Bucky said, on that journey to connection and growth. We're in this series called Christian versus Disciple. And it's a little bit of a tension. You should feel it. Comparing two words that seem to kind of be related, if not the same, uh, why do that? Why create a competition or a tension between those terms? Well, for this simple reason. How many of you feel just thrilled about wearing your faith on your sleeve today? When someone says, hey, where do you belong and where do you go and what do you believe? And you just say, Christian, I'm Christian, yay, Christians, right? Some of you are really unabashed and maybe you have a, a confident gift of faith or evangelism. That's awesome, <laughs> But by and large, most of us today have a little bit of a, an overwhelming church history that we feel like we have to overcome, a rather checkered past of the church and all of its kind of uh, foibles, right? And this series is addressing that. In this series, we kind of had like three really quick in my intro. I just wanted to outline some of the things we hope come as a result of the series. <clears throat> like, for example, number one, we hope to give you language about your faith and about what the Bible says. One of the most clear examples of that, we've talked about a lot this series, like the word Christian, for example, occurs in the New Testament three times. Three times the word Christian occurs, but the word disciple over 260 times. Which of these are we after, right? Language matters today. It matters a whole heck of a lot to understand the language of our faith. Another issue that we wanted to understand is a history of our faith. So if you didn't see week one in the teaching series, go back uh, for about five minutes of that message. I try and do a little bit of an American church history and how we got here. And one of the big words that sticks out from that graph, yes, I had a graph and I pride myself in my graphs, my charts around here. If you're new, you'll learn that. I have a minor graph today I can't wait to show you. Anyways, that's besides the point. Uh, One of the big terms that comes from that graph is this word fundamentalist or fundamentalism. Many of us today, if you have a bad feeling about the brand Christian in the world today, it's because you equate it with a fundamentalist. You know, a fundamentalist who still believes women should not be outside. I don't know, something crazy. Who, you know, goes pickets on the sidewalk telling everyone they're going to burn or, you know, go to hell. That's, that's a version of American fundamentalism that is not us, right? Let me give you an example of how language and history matters. In my notes, I was going to put Baptist fundamentalist. You know, even that would be really unfair and untrue because they're not the same thing. And in fact, there's some wonderful aspects that we might be proud of in terms of our Baptist brothers and sisters. I'll give you one example. There is no single organized group that has administered more Bibles around the world than the Baptist denomination. All around the world in hundreds of languages, the Baptist denomination has made sure that the good news of Jesus goes forth. At least if you believe the Bible is the testament of Jesus Christ and has the power to save, And that's really incredible, isn't it? We should understand the difference of that history and that language and how it impacts us today. The final thing is just to give you confidence. The series is about giving you confidence in the fact that you can proudly say, if not Christian or evangelical, you can say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, I am. I'm doing what what the word of God dictates I do to be 
to be, you know, well, what the Bible says is formed. I'm doing what I can to be a part of the process to form my life inside and outside into the image and likeness of Jesus. Today, we don't just have a brand crisis in the church, though we do have that, because those who have said they represent us the best have misrepresented us. And sometimes that person has been me. Can anyone else confess that? And sometimes that person has been me. So we don't just have a brand crisis, we have a formation crisis. Sometimes we'll say the word discipleship. It just is what's on the screen right now. And that's what this series is about, is learning to be formed in the image and likeness of Jesus. But we got to get over history. we got to get past our history, overcome our history, and find the faithful remnant. We want to be that faithful remnant of believing people, right? Like if we're going to redeem that word Christian, we have to show the world that we're still interested in justice and mercy and humility that we're willing to go low and be low so someone else can stand up. And the faithful remnant of the church throughout history has done that. We want to be that kind of church in that kind of place. But history is really something to overcome, isn't it? Maybe you feel the tension in the 21st century, living in a world where we have so-called Christian presidents, and we lament that fact like, oh, well, I don't know if they speak for me, you know? And that's so hard, isn't it? Well, imagine how hard it was in the 13th century to be a Christian. You guys remember the Inquisition, right? Everyone remember popularized on TV and movies, the Inquisition? Like, imagine being a Christian then. Like, oh, did you hear what happened to John Mark, guys? Yeah, he was burnt to the stake last week Yeah, because he didn't confess. I mean, that's brutal, that, but that was the reality. That was supposed to be a joke. So maybe you guys are, maybe your family line is tied to John Mark and it's still a sore subject. I'm so sorry. But this is nothing new as part of what I'm trying to get at. It's nothing new. Our church history is a checkered past, but there has always been a faithful few. There has always been that remnant. We're interested in that. And this teaching series is going to help us, I hope, be that faithful remnant. One of those historical issues that we've had kind of as a brand, as a people, it gets played out in the following scenario. I'm going to play it out for you. Maybe you're at dinner with... Uh, a few other individuals, people your age, your stage of life. Maybe it's a double date or a triple date. Maybe it's a small group. It's a Wednesday night and it's Bible study. And at one point in the conversation, you know, someone wants to know about this other person at church. Like, uh, are they really a Christian? Someone wants to know, are they a Christian? And I don't know if they're a Christian. <clears throat> and then Bill pipes up and says, well, you know what the scriptures say, right? Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. No, Bill, we don't know what you're talking about. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, you know what it says in Second Hesitations, verse 11. <laughs> uh, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, dot, dot, dot. Look at the fruit. <laughs> it's right there in the Bible. <laughs> Was that accurate? Does anyone think that that's accurate? Does anyone think that's in the Bible? Well, the answer is partially. Sorry, I tricked you. The answer is partially. Our text for today is John 15, and it is the text for looking at the evidence of faith in the world. And this verse, before I get there in just a second, this verse absolutely does talk about looking at the fruit. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that we ought to weaponize Scripture 
and use it to gun people down for the ways they're currently living their life. We're not given that permission, so far as I've found, really anywhere in Scripture. Jesus in Matthew 5 talks about judgment. He talks about looking at each other's lives. We may remember that passage, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. But then he goes on, he says, for the measure you use for others will be used against you. Jesus is giving permission, actually. He talks about this Greek word krino is judgment. There's good krino and bad krino, good judgment and bad judgment. This passage today, before we get there, I want to make sure you understand the position of it. And we're talking about fruit, measuring the evidence of our lives. First of all, our lives, not others first. But if we do have to look at our influences, maybe in your kids' lives, or maybe in your friends, then you can very well look at the fruit. God says, look at your influences, Jesus. Jesus says, have good judgment about those around you and about the decisions you're making in your life. Practice good judgment about those things. But we're never put, <clears throat> the bad judgment side, we're never put in the judgment seat of Christ. Never in scripture are we put in the judgment seat of Christ. We don't, it's not useful for us. There's no point because of just the lives that we're currently living ourselves, right? None of us is perfect. No, not even one. So what is the litmus test for the Christian life? What is the fruit? That's the question we want to get at today. And like I said, we're going to look at John chapter 15, verse 1. If you want to use your phones or your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen. And this is what it says. This is Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, even, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Skipping down to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. This is crazy. If, if my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, not for your comparison, but for my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Really quickly, before we get into some of the practical points here, I want to say for further study, if maybe you're in your Bible study or small group this week or in your personal time, you can go and read Romans 11. You can write this down. Read Romans 11 or text yourself. Romans 11 or Ezekiel 17. This whole picture of branches cannot be understood without going back a little bit. Ezekiel 17, almost the full chapter, talks about branches. And then looking forward to Paul, he talks about us, non-Jewish believers, non-Jewish Christians. Uh, the Bible uses the word Gentile. That we've been grafted in, a branch grafted into the tree of faith. So there's some amazing imagery and background to understand this picture. I just didn't have time to go into all of those chapters today. We're going to stay right here in John 15, and then we'll be on Galatians 5 in a moment. It's one Greek word. If you've been here a while, you know I've learned just not to be smart, but just out of my personal practice, to do some research on the original language. You know, the English we have is based off of an ancient Greek. And I use this website called Bible Hub, H-U-B, BibleHub.com, and you can pull up a verse, and then you can click on that, that word from the verse and find out what it meant in the original language. And there's one key word for today, and that word is karpos. Everyone say karpos. Yes, front row. Say karpos. 
Yes, it's not a type of fish. It's actually just the Greek word for fruit. Fruit. And it's the same word used throughout the New Testament for fruit. Galatians 5, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Karpos. Jesus in John chapter 15. You will bear or yield much fruit. Karpos. It's the same word. There's no tricks or mystery there. It's the same thing. But what is, what is fruit? If we're going to really understand <clears throat> some of our practical ways to live public Christians as public Christian lives, we should know what we should have kind of a working definition for fruit. And I put it on the screen as well. See, I think it's my contention that fruit is everything done, key phrase, key word, that's an operative word, done. And then the second half is equally operative in true partnership with Christ. Fruit are the things done, manifest, tangible, actions, words, behaviors. It is the things done that are being measured as fruit. In a moment, we're going to get into the whole, well, can't there be inner fruit and there's life inside our heart that God cares about? For sure. And we're going to get there in a second. But the first definition you have to have is that it's things done. Can't get into this wishy-washy thing about, oh, I can measure, because we do this. You ever try to read someone's mind? I'm a, I'm a master mind reader over here. Just ask my wife. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Oh, let me cut you off. Can I finish, please? My wife is thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm too busy mind reading. No, you, that's not the business of fruit. It's a tangible, outward thing. It's the things done, tangibly. And the other thing you've just got to know right away, it's not the things we do on our own power or our own will or on our own way. The Bible actually calls that flesh or sin nature. Today we're going to talk a lot about nature, like farm and garden agricultural nature. We're going to learn, guys, about how to make the best fruits and vegetables in the whole world. And we're going to get there, but the way to understand where fruit comes from, it is always ever in partnership with Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we have fruitful lives. So it may be something that we do, but it's always in partnership with Jesus. I thought that was a pretty important starting place. And we are going to talk about nature, like I said, farm and garden. This is an agrarian passage. Jesus was an agrarian guy speaking to an agrarian audience. <clears throat> if you think that's a tangent, like Ben, seriously, farm and garden? It's not. It's Bible study 101, actually. It's, it's looking at the New Testament 101. You can't read Jesus without reading farm and garden. <laughs> and it's kind of weird because we're just so far removed from that, right? Do I have any full-time farmers in the room today? Just raise your hand because you're going to be really popular and famous if you are. You know, last service we had one, which I was standing corrected because I'm like, no one, no one's going to raise their hand. And then this gal raises her hand and says, yeah, that's what I, I help people do is their kind of uh, household urban uh, agriculture. But uh, no, see today, second service, no one, no one. We're so far removed from farm and garden today that we need to just start from where we are. I mean, like my wife and I, for example, I've done the math. This is real math. I've collected the estimates, and a house plant has about a 6% survival rate inside our house. House plant is not going to be okay in our house, if it's real. I mean, if it's real. Assuming it's real, it's not going to be okay. It's going to die, boys. It's not going to make it in our house. How about vegetable gardens and fruit gardens in our backyard? Oh, for 2. Put the 2 by 4s in there, put up the chicken wire, nailed it, awesome, just threw away my second one yesterday at the dumpster. 
So it's not happening for the Applebee's. We're so far removed. Maybe you feel that same way, not just physically, but spiritually. How do we bear fruit in our lives today? How do we make sure our lives are these rich gardens abounding and yielding such eternal fruit, fruit that lasts forever? There's a couple of things when we look at this passage, I want you to know, these are the three points for today. When, when it comes to bearing fruit with Jesus and partnership with Jesus, when it comes to doing things in partnership with Jesus, there's three things you've got to know. Number one, it's natural. Number two, it's relational. And number three, it's public. If you are passionate like we are at Watermark to redeeming the image of the church in the world today, if you want to see a restored and redeemed public image of the church, then these are the things that contribute to it. Understanding your natural position with Christ in God, understanding that that only comes from an intimate relationship, and understanding that there will be public repercussions for this intimate life lived with Jesus. And the very first thing I want you to see from this passage, as I go back, is simply that it's natural. See, so much of our Christian walk and formation, often we've had a formation season that was wrong or bad or just kind of had some tucked human things in there that didn't really come from scripture. And one of those things is this overwork, overproduction consciousness in the church. Call it the uh, Protestant work ethic, right? And we just got to earn and achieve and just muscle up and we can produce fruit. Let me just ask you a really simple kind of farm and garden question, guys. Given the right environment, do the fruits and vegetables in our yard, do they need any kind of like magic to sprout? They're just going to do that because it's what they were created to do. And that's the truth of Scripture, is that when we were a new creation in Jesus, that's what we were created to do. Your very DNA, your very nature in Christ Jesus is to be productive and to let fruit bloom and flourish on your life as a branch. It's natural. There's no coercion necessary or working up necessary to let fruit be born in your life. And what we see in this passage is that actually a part of the natural fruit-bearing season is something called pruning. Something the Father does. But it's painful, isn't it? That passage is just so amazing to me that even the branch that produces fruit, he prunes. What? But God, I was reading the Bible. God, I was going to church. God, my relationships were healthy. I stopped partying on the weekends. God, I'm bearing fruit. And he just goes, snip. And you're wondering, God, why am I sick again? Why have I lost this relationship? Why have you put my finances in this position, God? Why am I in this season? And then what do we do? Because of someone, some way in our Christian formation, we were taught to pray the evil away and pray the tough things away and pray the discomfort away, pray the circumstance away. We find ourselves, Jesus, Lord, God, just take it from me. This is too hard, it's too hard, it's too hard. And God the Father, the gardener, is just like, I'm doing something in you. I'm producing a fruit that is going to be so strong, so tasty, so beautiful, this fruit that I'm doing in you. The illustration I always come back to, I thought, I think about, I was driving down the road, listening to Christian radio, and they were talking about this illustration about how missionaries in the international world, you know, they get locked up. 
Just like Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas, they're locked up. And what's their first thing? God, just get us out. I have a schedule to keep, God. All these things I hope to do for you. Is that their first thing? No, their first thing is praise and worship. God, we worship you. God, we love you. God, let us be used in this situation. And sure enough, God frees them up. And what happens? The jailer meets Jesus. The enemy meets Jesus. And these people on the Christian radio program were talking about, oh, that's 2,000 years ago. That doesn't happen today, Ben. It doesn't? There's not missionaries in jail in China and Iran and South America and South Asia, and they're there. And what do they learn to pray? Jesus, use me here and now. Maybe you put me here so that this jailer could know you for all of eternity. It's a radical kind of prayer, isn't it? But it comes from having an accurate theological understanding of the fruit and pruning in the natural process that God is working out. It's, all, it's also relational. If we don't have intimacy, we won't have formation. That's the shorthand that I put in my notes. If we don't have intimacy with the Father, we won't have formation. Our growth, our fruit and vegetable growth will be incredibly stunted. If we don't have in- intimacy and relationship with the Father. And so I got a, a somewhat of a diagram It's not a graph per se, but it's somewhat of a diagram, a breakdown of this, okay? And this is what it is. Jesus, if you want to, we're going to determine the relationship. This is a DTR. This vine branch picture, you need to have the terms and categories right, because sometimes we get misplaced. Uh, Maybe I'm the vine. (laughs) Maybe I'm in charge of my own production. Uh, Maybe I'm supposed to prune someone else's life because I'm a know-it-all. So we need to determine the relationship and get our, our placement right. And so I'm going to point to you, and you say the thing that's after the equal sign. So we'll practice. Jesus equals vine. God the Father equals gardener. Kids in the front are holding it down. Let's go, boys. One more time. Christians equal branches. What we do equals, and that's the relationship, okay? Those are the characters and figures in this metaphor that Jesus thought was really important to talk about. If Jesus thought it was really important to talk about, in, in a whole chapter pretty much he devotes to this, I and you, you and me produce fruit. And all this picture and all this, this imagery, we should have the terms clear. We are not the vine, Jesus is in the vine. We are not responsible for pruning God the Father you know, I was born and raised on this verse as a, as a Christian, born and raised. I know what the fruit, you know, on the vine, and I'm attached to the vine, that's so good. But I all but, in my consciousness, I all but cut God out of that imagery. We don't forget God the Father is there doing that important work of pruning. Even the branches that produce good fruit. I was talking to uh, the one farmer from last Sarah, uh, service, her name's Sarah Shields. And she said, it's so true what you're saying, Ben, about pruning. In our gardens, we teach and coach people that if you, you think you're doing a good thing when you let this big glorious fruit get bigger and bigger and bigger and then you take it off the vine without pruning and it tastes like rubbish. It's gotten too much water. It's, it's lost its shape and it's lost its flavor. You, you, you thought you were doing a good thing but you got too fat <laughs> and you were no good anymore. The Father does that work. We Christians were the branches, not the vine. And what we do, once again, we are not the fruit. Even that's really important, isn't it? We ourselves are not the fruit. As sons and daughters, daughters of the Most High God, we, regardless of the fruit, we are sons and daughters. And nothing affects our positional standing with Jesus. No matter what you do, guys, right or wrong, your whole life, no matter what you do, no matter what kind of sin, right or wrong, the most evil thought you ever had in your head, 
Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Jesus. You have a positional standing with Jesus all the days of your life, no matter what you do. And we're not the things that we produce, but the fruit are the things that we do. And let me just set this record straight as well. Because this is like a, maybe it's only us nerds who have debated this, like the former elders and I and the staff, and we have these kind of debates about what's more important, being with God or doing for God? And we have this like endless debate, like one is more important than the other. And I just kind of want to make a, make a strong argument today for saying we can stop the debate. <laughs> we can just stop the debate. One is not more important than the other. There is no rank and order. The only thing we need to know is that one gives way to the other. And you can't have one without the other. You cannot have a vibrant public Christian life without having an intimate behind-the-scenes relational life with Jesus. So we do leadership development at Watermark. It's one of the things we love to do. We know that you all are leaders in our midst. And so we want to try and schedule a time together to go through classes and do life together and then release you as leaders into this local church and into your workplace. And one of the mega themes that we practice comes from a guy named Pete Scazzaro, who, who is all day long, his concern is inner life, being with God, leads to outer life, doing for God. It's his whole thing. It can be summed up in one phrase. For a leader, as a leader, wherever you are, even out of this local church, but a leader in your family, a, a leader with your friends, leader in your workplace, you cannot give what you don't possess. That's one of our lessons in leadership development. You cannot give what you don't possess. In other words, that interior life leads to that exterior life. Have you gone through the waiting? You know, one of the biggest things about farm and garden is the incredible waiting. Have you gone through a desert season? One of our biggest leadership lessons is that we've had to go through the desert. If you haven't yet, one day you will, young man. And you'll have a desert season. It'll be so dry. You'll wonder where God is. And you'll wonder why the things you did before to talk to him and feel his presence aren't working right now. I'm listening to worship. I'm praying. I'm reading the Bible app. And it's just not working the same way. Where has he gone? And you'll feel like you're in that in-between, just like the Israelites that desert waiting period in between, that messy, messy in-between. My wife is pregnant, and the day between getting pregnant and having the baby is a messy waiting period, a nine-month in-between, most unholy and painful in-between, waiting. When will baby come? And it's the same for you, even without having a baby in your belly. At waiting, God's doing something, producing something in you. And then when you've gone through that desert or that wilderness or that waiting period or that pain or that illness or that circumstance that didn't get prayed away, what will you be able to do for someone when they're going through their desert season? In leadership, you'll be able to take them by the arm and say, I've seen this. I got you. You're not alone. It's not in vain. I saw that too. I was there too. It is both being and doing, not one greater than the other. One leads to the other. The final thing is that it's public. Like I just finished saying, this interior life must have external implications. And, I, and I, you see that there in verse 7 and verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Sounds like a great big show-off, doesn't it? Like, oh man, the world's going to know that I'm a Christian. I don't need to wave the Christian card. I don't need to smack them over the head with the Bible. Because they're just going to know by my life, dude, that I'm a Christian. And you need to know that's true. 
The way you live, act, and speak will show the world that you're a Christian long before you've invited them to Easter service. And you can do that even in your work product. The way you work, you don't have to be a pastor. The way you work in your quote-unquote secular job can be an example to people of a Christ follower. It can be evidence of your formation. The fact that when your bad boss or negative coworker or toxic culture brings you down and treats you like dirt and you don't return the favor? You know what the Bible calls that? Enemy love. Jesus called that enemy love. And it's one of the most dramatic ways to throw up a banner for Jesus. Every time you do that, wherever you are, he is made glorious. God is pictured to the world. He gets the glory. It's not about comparison or picking on each other or judging and critiquing our fellow Christians. It's, we have those fingers pointed like this. At the, Who's a Christian? Are you a Christian? They're not really a Christian. This is a Christian. It's not a Christian. Who's a Christian? And the whole thing we're missing is this vertical relationship where God gets the glory. Not for who the coolest Christian in the room is, but for the fruit that is flourishing in our lives. And as I read 7 and 8, I kind of get a very practical roadmap I wanted to share with you about fruit producing. If this just all sounds too spiritual, too grand, Ben, like what can I do here and now? Well, the first thing that we can do, uh, verse 7 says, is that we can feast on Jesus' words. We can feast on the word of God. I love what Bucky said in last week's message. If you haven't listened to it, it flows really naturally into this one. Talked about being in the yoke with Jesus, like an animal, a farm animal tool where you link your neck as two oxen or horse and you train with the lead oxen or lead horse, right? And he was talking about how Jesus did that with the Father. And so he was ready to speak to the haters, speak to the enemies, speak to the crowds whenever they had issue. But here's the thing I was thinking about this week, based off of Bucky's words from last week. We always give Jesus a pass, like, Oh, how did he memorize all the verses? It was probably supernatural. Like he probably didn't have to work at it because he was Jesus. And so maybe he just had it on autopilot and that's how he knew God's word. No, no. Jesus was just a good Jewish boy in his time period and he memorized the entire Old Testament. Not one verse, not one chapter, but all the books in the Old Testament he had memorized. Hear me guys, track with me because It's not going to be a shocker when you hear the pastor say that we ought to get back to reading the Bible, but that's what Jesus did, and that's what made him equipped to lead a public ministry. When people came questioning him, hating him, uh, challenging him, he had a reel of the Word of God on his heart and his mind, and from his head to his toe, he could pull from Scripture at any moment. Can we do the same when we face the battles and the storms today? It's really hard if we don't feast on the word of God like Jesus did. We'll have a formation crisis if we don't feast on the word of God like Jesus did. But that's not all. There's another Greek word here for for word. The words remain in you. I went and looked it up. It's this word rhema. Oh, everyone say rhema. Rhema. It is what it sounds like, rhema. It's like the breath of God in birthing a truth to you. The basic definition of rhema is a spoken word, but the broader definition is a word from Scripture that is in-birthing. Meaning when you hear or read this word from Scripture, something is born inside of you. 
literally given life inside of you. And that leads to this public Christianity that we're looking for. And that's in verse 7. Verse 8, ask. Ask and, and what you wish and it'll be done for you. Does that mean that God is a, a slot machine God? And we just pull down the crank of the slot machine and we get whatever we want? No, not really. It means that when we ask in, the, in, in line with Scripture, have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? That's everyone. I won't make you raise your hands, but everyone here has wondered at one point or another, what is God's will for my life? Here's what I want you to test. Especially if you're in the season right now, wondering what God's will is for your life. I want you to take 30 days and get in the word of God. Do it for even five minutes, morning, noon, and night. For five minutes, morning, noon, and night, get in the word of God and watch what happens to your what is God's will for my life question. Watch what happens. I love prophetic words, encouraging words. I love prophetic dreams. Maybe you had a dream and it was like God used the dream or used a word from a friend to show you something. I love those as much as anyone, but you know how many times we just look past scripture to be that word, to show us the will of God? It's right there. We just have to test it. And God gets the glory. That public thing that we're hoping happens for our Christian brand When we get in the word of God, we'll know the will of God and the glory of God will be shown to the whole world. That's what I see in just seven and eight, although we could go on and on talking so much about the fruit. And that's what we're going to do next before we wind down. Because you still want to know. One of you like me still wants to know. Yeah, but that's cool, Ben, intimacy with Jesus. Okay, read the Bible, got it. (laughs) But someone here still wants to know how to spot the fruit. Right? Like, how do I know if they're authentic Christians or not? How do I know? Okay, fine. You want to be in that business? Let's go to Galatians 5. That's a fruit quality question. You want to ask a fruit quality question? You got to go to Galatians 5. What is fruit quality after all? There are three things that determine fruit quality. Um, Just like my favorite apple in the world and your favorite apple, I know it's not really a contest. You can say what you want, but everyone knows that the Honeycrisp is the best apple in the world today. It's not open for debate, I'm sorry. Uh, It is the best apple. (laughs) And I don't care if it's genetically modified, it's the best apple. Whatever they did, it's working. (laughs) It's a hybrid from two other apples. I don't care about those two apples, what they were. All we know is Honeycrisp now. And as as a fruit quality question, we know that the Honeycrisp apple is the best apple in color, texture, and taste. Those are the ways that you measure fruit quality today. Color, when I see that Honeycrisp apple, you guys all know that meals start with your eyes, right? It's not about how it tastes. Dude, if you've smelled a meal, you know this is going to be different. I'm going to remember this one. You look at the meal. It just, I got to take a picture. It's going, this one's going on the internet. This one's going on the gram, guys, because it's beautiful. Same thing with Honeycrisp. The color is beautiful. The texture, really the texture is what makes the Honeycrisp perfect. It's the crunchiest apple in, in the world today. You guys know what I'm talking about. Those who know, know. The rest of you guys, is okay. Go buy one for $10 and you can have your way. The taste is perfect. Perfect balance of sour and sweet. It's just magnificent. These are the determining factors of fruit quality. I wish we had a verse to talk about fruit quality. 
And then Galatians 5 hit us like a load of bricks. This is Galatians 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, remember, it's natural, but it goes, swings both ways. Na- nature, the results are very clear. This is a nasty list, guys, but bear with me. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties. Not just drunkenness, but drunkenness and wild parties. I don't know the difference, but they're in there. And other sins like these. Fruit quality question. Tangible. Exterior. Public. Fruit quality. And I'll tell you like I did before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces in the Holy Spirit, see the tension there of the two natures? That when we're in our, 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 our sin nature, the Bible calls that our flesh, it leads to a certain kind of produce. When we're in the Holy Spirit, our new nature in Christ Jesus, it produces a whole other set of fruit. This kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed, I love this verse, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So it's easy to talk about Honeycrisp apples and the color and texture and taste of Honeycrisp apples. And it's easy to say, hey guys, the Christian life, you can produce fruit. It's natural, just stay in the vine. And the branch will produce fruit. Period. There's a great truth for you. But Ben, what are some of the contributing factors in the environment that leads to this fruit quality? Well, I didn't know, because like I said, my wife and I are plant killers and garden killers. And so I went to the internet to find out the science behind a flourishing agrarian enterprise. And here are seven things, at least seven things, that lead to a flourishing garden. And there's many more, but here's a quick list of seven things. First thing is mineral nutrition. Man, these things need a diet from the earth, don't they? From the soil, the pH levels. People will be out there testing pH in the dirt. It's crazy. Does your diet matter? What you're consuming up here, does your diet matter? Is there a nutrition situation going on in our diet today? Yes, there is, buddy, because we have too much sugar and junk and garbage. What does it produce? Not good fruit. We feel terrible on a diet of junk food in our heart and our mind. Number two, plant population. You know, plant population, too dense, too sparse, and it leads to misshapen carrots and beets and onions. Boy, but does it matter what kind of population you're in? Oh, sorry, did I say you? I meant the plants, right? Because we're talking about plants right now. This is about plants, not about you or me, right? This is about plants. You think you can do this life apart from Christian community? And the right kind of Christian community? And the right mix of Christian community? Some may be more immature than you and some more mature than you. You have to have all and both for the right population. Water. Boy, is water a big deal for our garden, right guys? Yeah, too little and we're dry as a bone. Too much? And we got puddles. What happens to the puddles, I learned from the internet? In the puddles, right below the plant, you get this thing called pathogens. We all know what pathogens are now, right? In a post-pandemic world, everyone's a pro on pathogens. Okay, just cool it. Not everyone's a scientist, all right? And I only got this from the internet, so even I'm not a scientist. These pathogens are like the bugs and germs and the, and, the, and the sickness. And those things splash up from the puddle onto the plant life. 
And they're killers, man. These germs and these infestations, which leads to the next one. Pest and weed management. Can't have a flourishing garden without managing those weeds. What does the Bible say about weeds? That's right, you got to take them out, man. Because we plant those seeds, the good fruit, good soil, and it gets crowded and choked out by the weeds of everyday life. Temperature. Man, you want perfectly red tomatoes, you better make sure the temperature's right, boys. Too hot? Scorcher. Torn and ripped skin on the tomatoes. No one wants that. Wind. Harvest time. Nasty corn, anyone? Anyone has some nasty corn? Oh, it's all season long. I can get perfect corn. Eh. Tastes like garbage. Bite right into it. It's dry. It's too juicy. Or too much water. On and on and on and on and on. I love that um, company. I've thought about, we've thought about using it before too. Imperfect produce, right? Imperfect produce. Not hating on anyone who's using imperfect produce. That's great. But you know what? That's just so what the world wants you to hear today about your life and about the fruit that you produce. Oh, it's good. It's imperfect. And then everyone gets a pass. And it's okay. And just take it. Even though it's misshapen, it tastes like garbage. And you know what? It's ugly. Might be fun in the illustration of vegetables and fruit. But you know what? In the Christian lifestyle, we don't settle for misshapen, tasting bad, and ugly. That's church history in our checkered past. Presenting an ugly bride to the world. Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ, promoting and, and presenting this ugly bride to the world. That's not something we settle for. That's not our hope. That's not our life. And that's not what intimacy with Jesus leads to. It leads to life and life to the full. John 10, this flourishing, fruit-bearing life. We're not talking about fruits and vegetables anymore, are we? We're talking about the actions of Christians. Our actions. They do speak louder than words. But all of that comes from our being with God. As we wind down and the band comes up, I just want to remind you the three things that we were talking about. It is natural. We don't have to conjure up and muscle up this produce in our life. If someone told you that, that's what it means to be a good Christian. You know, you just outwork and outperform everyone. It's not biblical. It just requires what's relational. It's natural. It's relational to abide in Jesus and his word. Spend time with God the Father. To welcome his pruning hands in our lives. And it's also public. You know, a huge part of this bearing fruit as believers today is about maturity. The whole picture of working in the Holy Spirit that that we have up there, what the Holy Spirit produces, and what kind of life that leads to is all about the areas of our life that we have or have not let Jesus touch. So when I put up there verses 19 to 21, which I didn't want to do, because it's an ugly, nasty list, right? Talking about public sins and private sins. No one wants to talk about that. Guess what? You don't want to preach about it either. But what this list represents is just the areas that we haven't invited Jesus to touch in our life, which which is ultimately about maturity, Mature fruit can only come from letting Jesus touch every area of our life. These areas on the screen are the areas of our lives that we have said, no, it's okay, I'm going to let those secret sins lie. And God doesn't really need to know about those. He doesn't really need to touch those. They're the unchanged and untouched portions of our life. Guys, I was born and raised a Christian in Orange County. And and one of the things that makes my heart break, you know, I got all of these, by the way. I got the whole second half. The whole second half I have here. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, 
envy. I got all those things that I'm working on, but, and they break my heart. And I'm trying to act not out of my flesh anymore, but out of the Holy Spirit in everything that I do. You know, it's a wonder to watch me driving a, a motor vehicle. You know, and I'm just driving the car and I'm singing a worship song out loud in the car. I might be screaming the worship song. And then someone just swoops in. And it's amazing how quick they slip out of worship. Like how fast I slip in and out of worship. I'm amazed. What happened? Where's that old nature come from? Like I'm in the new nature and then the old nature just crops up so fast. I'm focused on me. But I'm saying, and maybe this will hit you today. The way I figure there's really like two or three people in the room. And one of the ways you're still acting in the old nature is you're trying to do everything on self, guys. Trying to power up and muscle up everything on self. The Bible calls that your flesh, your sin nature. You can stop doing that. And maybe you're on one, the other type of person in the room, one of these things on the screen right now. And I tell you, one of the things that breaks my heart and that I've seen play over again and again and again in our public Christianity in Orange County is this drunkenness and, and, and parties. Guys, it doesn't just break my heart. Who cares about me? It breaks the heart of God that when we're at church on Sunday and small group on Wednesday and then Friday night, we're just having a few too many. And we're doing that as a group sometimes. Guys, we're just heaping shame on the cross. When we say, oh, it's okay if this one area is misshapen and this part is ugly and I can present this to the world. Guys, all we're saying is that, you know what? I'm okay with that part of my heart being unchanged and untouched by God. I'm just gonna let it keep running. That's why we need Christian community and fellowship to see our blind spots, to call us to a higher level, not to do the pruning, but to call each other out and up in love and grace so that we can run this race together, making the bride of Christ beautiful again. I wanna say one last thing before we pray and then we go to communion. I was looking over all my iCloud photos to find this one picture. I guess I never took it and I'm so sad. But I wanna paint this picture of something I found in my backyard one day months ago. In our backyard, our neighbors have this garden that is right against our wall, and they have this beautiful green vine. I don't know if it's grapes or not. And um, there was this tentacle of vine. There's really no other way to describe it, but using that alien kind of term, this tentacle of this vine started creeping over our wall, and there were some, some leaves, the picture like a green maple leaf or, or a uh, liquid amber tree branch, these green leaves and this vine was just sprouting. I swear over seven days, it shot right over the wall. And then we have these string lights in our yard. It had grabbed the string lights, this vine, and coiled around and around and around, not once or twice, but seven times, this fresh, green, living thing. You couldn't rip it off if you tried. Eventually, the vine had nowhere else to progress because it had kind of gotten off track and and over time it became brown and dark and and dead but when I when I see what happens to the branch attached to the source the the vine attached to the tree and the life-giving power that it has you know part of so much of this message has been focused on us I want you to think about this as you go to communion that remember who's the vine let's see as a trivia who's the vine Jesus, that picture of the vine, that green, alive thing holding on to the string lights, that's Jesus holding on to you. Regardless of how much you slip in and out of the sin nature, regardless of how many times you backslide or mess up again and again and again, regardless of that, your positional standing is held fast with Jesus Christ the Son.
He's holding on to you regardless of how much backsliding or mishaps or misshapen or ugly portraits you project to the world. He's holding on to you. Even when we don't make time to hold on to him, he's holding on to you. And you just gotta know that. I wanna leave you with that encouraging word. Let's pray and then we'll take communion. Jesus, thank you, Father God, that you are faithful and true and you hold fast to your promises and you never let go. 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 Wherever we are this morning in the desert season, in the messy middle, in the waiting, in the in-between, in the suffering, in the sickness, in the doubts, in the sin pattern, wherever we are, God, you never let go and you are doing something, Jesus. Produce much fruit in us, I pray. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There's communion tables at the front two and at the back two tables. And I just encourage you, go to the table and repent and confess of sins of self-power. Repent and confess of a, of a sin pattern that was on the screen earlier and give it to Jesus and just let him take it. And in turn, you take his body and his blood that's given for you in the communion elements and go together. If you see someone by, them, by themselves, maybe they wanna be, but you can invite them to join your group. It's a family tradition to take the elements right now. So go when you're ready during the song. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.